Welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego-Kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we talk about sustainable investing and how your portfolio reflects your values. Do your investments seek accountability from corporations that govern more and more of our society and even the lives we lead? Listen in as we explore the question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Griego Kyle from Horizons Sustainable Financial Services. Kim, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Eric. I am doing quite well. I am so glad to be back with you. And I know that you have a special guest today. Who's that? Yes, Eric, I do have a wonderful guest with me today. If you remember, I've mentioned a couple of times since the beginning of the year that I am now on the board of USCIF, mm -hmm. the Forum for Sustainable and Responsible Investment. And one of the things that they do, a big thing that they do, is every two years they produce a report called the Trends Report. And we'll talk about that in detail. So I'm not going to mention all of what that Trends Report is. Mm -hmm. This report is amazing. And my special guest, Farzana Hawk is one of the key people who puts this report together. So I would like to introduce Farzana. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. And sure. I would like you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be part of USF. Sure. I'm currently the acting director of research at USCIF, and I've been with the organization for eight years, so a long time. And the entire time I've been doing research, more recently communications, and I also do uh, programs as well. And as you mentioned, the Trends Report is, is one of my big project areas. And I found USCIF after graduate school. And prior to graduate school, I worked at the Emerging Markets Private Equity Association. And this was 2006 to 2009. So I looked at investments in emerging markets, but it was kind of before the era of talking about impact investing, sustainable investing, and ESG. Like these were not terms that I really heard thrown around. So I was interested in those topics, but the field hadn't, that field hadn't really been solidified yet. So I actually left to go do some other things. And then I went to grad school to study environmental policy and economics. And I was kind of trying to kind of unite those two areas. And I was very happy after grad school when I, when I found USF and it, it kind of married those that topic. And by then it was 2013 and the field of sustainable and impact investing in ESG was really, really taking off at that point. So that's that's how I ended up at USF and kind of entered into the field. Yeah, that's a perfect timing for you in terms of mm -hmm. how the, the field has really exploded, especially in the last 10 years. So great. USF is lucky to have you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I would like to talk about the trends report today. And I've been familiar with that for the last, I don't know, couple of decades, really, uh, since I've been in this business. And 
I can't remember when the trends report started. What was the first year USF did the trends report? Sure. It was 1995, a long, okay. long time ago, yeah. way before I started. Yes. Yeah, so that yeah. is about three years before I started in this business because I started in 98. Okay. Why, why do we do the trends report? What's, what, why is it so important to this field? I mean, I know the answer, but why sure. don't you tell our listeners why it's okay. so important? So the main reason we produce the report is to measure the size of the sustainable investment market in the United States and to show the growth of the sustainable investment market over time. And it's important to the field because it shows the demand for sustainable investment, its rationale, and its growth over time. So this report is about 150 pages long, and it goes into immense detail about a number of things. For example, it goes into the types of institutions engaged in sustainable investing, foundations, family offices, asset managers, so a wide range, the motivations for sustainable investing, trends in specific environmental, social, and governance criteria, criteria ESG criteria that institutions address. It looks at trends in investment vehicles, such as mutual funds and private equity funds. It also covers a range of sustainable investment strategies, both ESG incorporation and investor advocacy, so that negative screening, ESG integration, impact investing, filing shareholder resolutions, and more. So it covers a lot. It goes into a lot of detail. And I would say I would say that it's the most important data source and reference guide for sustainable investment in the United States. Oh, I would absolutely agree. And I think it's probably changed a lot since 1995. And I, of course, wouldn't have read that first one. I'm curious if you know or have this information in front of you, because I don't know the number, but you know, we know what the, the assets now in the most recent report are you know, one in so many dollars is invested in sustainable or impact or ESG, whatever mm -hmm. moniker you want to put on that in the last report. But do you know what it was in 1995? Sure. It was $639 billion in 1995. So that compares to $17.1 trillion in 2020, which is a more than 25-fold increase. Wow. And I have to flip through, you know, the old reports once in a while and it it has changed a lot it's it's gotten a lot bigger and it it covers different types of top topics and even within a two-year time span you know a lot changes so what we see is over time the industry evolves such as the terminology and strategies so i had just mentioned about the the big growth in assets and we just see changing trends. So a couple of examples um, of the types of changes we see are that ESG integration is not widely used strategy before, and now it's a huge strategy that's used. Or we'll see a specific ESG criteria suddenly experience massive growth, such as GenderLens investing after 2016. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting, even for me, if I didn't have this report, I still see the growth personally over the last 23 years. But the report is fascinating to to look at the details and the numbers on the this 
broad, detailed report. So the trends that you're seeing, it, because you are looking back at some of these old reports, what what are these top level trends that you're finding? So we have seen incredible growth in climate change and carbon emissions. We've seen a lot of growth in sustainable natural resources and agriculture. And we've seen a lot of growth in board issues. I mean, we, we see a lot of growth across the board, but sometimes there are issues like I mentioned with gender lens investing, like it's, it's taken into account by investors, but for it to really register in a report, then the numbers have to be pretty big. And sometimes like the term just doesn't solidify. So gender lens investing as a term became popular relatively recently in 2016. And then if we look at, you know, divesting from private prisons, that has always been an important issue, but it has really gained traction in the last, in the past few years. And, you know, the, the AUM like for that is small, but the growth is, has been like very dramatic. So I just want to mention for our listeners, if they don't know what AUM means, it's assets under management. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I always want to make sure that our listeners know what specific things mean. And uh, what's interesting is you mentioned agriculture as uh, an investment area that is being focused on in, in the report and podcasts 43 and 44 uh, which are just a couple that I did recently, I focused a lot on agriculture and I, I interviewed a couple of folks around that particular topic. And it is really a trending area, which is fascinating. So it's interesting that that is something that's coming up in the report as well. That's great. And that is really a trend. Like we saw a big increase in that from 2018 uh, to 2020, and as well as in climate change. So that was like, that's not a kind of world that I'm involved in that much agriculture. So for right. me to actually see those numbers come up was really interesting. And so that's great for people who actually work in that particular space to say, oh, you know, now we see these numbers and, and this makes total sense to us. Right. So let's talk about the actual growth in assets. From 2018 to 2020, what was the growth over that two-year period? It was 42%. So it was about $12 trillion to $17 trillion. That is phenomenal. And what do you explain that two-year growth number? I mean, what do you attribute that to? I think it has become mainstream like there is a lot of client demand there's a lot of competition and so many money managers are doing it that almost if an institution isn't it they look really far behind and I would say this was an issue maybe even like four years ago so every every couple of years we see this almost like exponential like massive growth. We're seeing new large asset managers enter the field, whereas, you know, 15 years ago, it was 
some of the smaller asset managers who were focusing on socially responsible investing. Now it's a totally different type of large, you know, asset manager that has gotten involved. These institutions have signed on to the principles for responsible investment, and they need to be, you know, engaging in uh, responsible investing. More institutions have ESG policy statements or responsible investment policy statements that have information in that. So I think I think client demand is a big one. Having more, you know, people becoming more aware of the options that are out there and just kind of the, the urgent issues out there, you know, social, environmental and governance issues, you know, climate change, racial equity, you know, board issues, and people want to address these not only in how they you know, purchase their goods or, or where they donate, but they're also thinking about it in terms of their investments as well. Right. I, I see that as well. One of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit is how the participants of, of the reporting process are reporting these assets. And, and I know there's a lot of talk around the the criteria the ESG criteria and how how the reporting is being done in terms of what the particular participants criteria are so how is that being addressed in terms of the uncategorized assets in the report how are, how's the how's the forum looking at that so we collect information through a survey. So institutions can provide their information. And for those that don't, we look at publicly available information to understand what institutions are doing, how many assets are going towards sustainable investing and the ESG criteria and so on. So what we've found in the past few years, uh, a little bit in 2018 and more so in 2020, is that a large portion of assets don't have an explanation as to what the specific ESG criteria is for those sustainable investments. So over 50% of the total ESG AUM that we found for asset managers didn't have a specific ESG criteria, such as executive pay or pollution and toxics. It just said something like, we do ESG integration across all of our AUM. And, you know, the issues might vary or something, or we decide on a case-by-case basis, you know, at the time what issues are important. So it's kind of indicating that they're doing some type of ESG incorporation, but it's not the way people kind of used to provide information in the past. And a lot of institutions do provide really great information. They, you know, they spend time filling out the survey and going through investment vehicles and here are the ESG criteria for this mutual fund and here are the ESG criteria for this, you know, private equity fund and these are the amounts. So we get a lot of information, but there are also these you know, big kind of blanket statements that we see in on institutions' websites, their ESG statements, or their public PRI transparency reports, that they're doing something kind of broad, but we don't get details on exactly the specific issues. So that's a, a big trend that we've seen. Right. And that 
does make some sense because an example would be a firm like mine where we are applying ESG principles or social criteria, but it's not the same for every client. So we couldn't state specifically what those are because they vary. Mm. And so if you asked us what our criteria are, we could give you a broad answer, but we couldn't state it specifically. So that's the kind of thing you're coming across would be my guess. Sure. And that's really interesting and helpful for me to hear too, kind of on the research side of, of how it's happening in practice and why it might be difficult to, to fill out like the survey form, you know, that we have in place. And, you know, and as I said, things change over time, the way institutions do it change over time. So we, with each report, we're trying to figure out, okay, you know, what adjustments do we need to make? Do we need to enter a new field? Do we need to enter a new criteria? So this is this is something we kind of rethink every every couple of years. Right. So that actually, uh, maybe I just helped you a little bit because Thank you. we do, <laughs> yes. yeah, we do actually tailor it to each client. And so every client's criteria might be slightly different. We might have a lot of clients who are very similar, but it's tailored. So it's not a across the board here's here's what we do and only what we do and i would imagine there's a number of client facing advisors who do a very similar thing mm-hmm. so it's it's very interesting which brings me kind of to the this piece of i don't know why that becomes an issue for folks who are looking at the report because why wouldn't we want to tailor our criteria to our clients. You know, if we, if we have this, this process that we're doing, it's not an across the board blanket. Here's what we do. Yes. You see that in the mutual fund because they're not going to tailor the mutual fund to every single client. That's not the purpose of a mutual fund. But when you're managing assets for people, individuals, you manage an asset or, you know, portfolio for an individual. So why would you report each individual account separately in a process like this? Sure. And I can say in the report, you know, the way we present this information, a bunch of specific ESG criteria, and then it'll say something like general, and it's a big number or, will list kind of numbers for specific investment vehicles like the AUM, AUM allocated to each. And then we'll kind of have this general or unspecified term. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue is like, the you know, we collect the data and we try to write about it in a pretty short period of time. So because we have a hard time explaining it and we'll do the best that we can but we see the information and we have to process it and write it and communicate it very quickly. So it might be confusing to readers to see these numbers and say, well, if you can't explain it or if it's general or undisclosed, like, is it real? So I I think that's what some of the the readers are maybe possibly. Yeah. But I, I do understand that. Like, you know, I couldn't necessarily say, 
well, you know, two thirds of my clients are focused on environmental issues and three fourths of my clients are focused on this. It would be very difficult for me to extrapolate that data at the moment. There's not really a process for me to do that and then report it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be that's, difficult. Yeah, that's yeah. really helpful for me to hear. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to be able to do that, but I'm not sure that I have that ability yet. There just isn't a software for mm-hmm. me to pull that data out. We're working on something, but we just don't really have that particular ability at the moment. So it would be interesting if we we could find something. Now, you are already working on the trends report for 2022, correct? We are thinking about, so as I said, like, you know, we learn lessons from the one that we just did. And then we think about how do we, what adjustments do we need to make for the next one. So yeah, we are thinking about big questions like, you know, what changes to the survey might we need to make based on industry trends? Do we need to kind of rethink how we present some types of information? So we're not like in the hardcore phase of (laughs) collect, you know, like the survey is not live, but we are thinking about big questions this year in preparation. Right. So you're in the the beginning stages of Mm -hmm. planning the survey. It's a two-year process, really, to go through this report. It's usually a one-year process, and that is in terms of the survey is live. You know, Mm -hmm. it's open for a few months. Institutions fill it out. We send reminders, and then the data is crunched. And then, you know, we, we get the numbers and then there's an analysis phase and then there's writing phase, editing, mm-hmm. and then publishing and communications. So that is the year that it's always published. So that would be 2022. This is my actual first year working more at the strategic level of all the bigger changes. Yeah. But the year off, we always like to think of, which is you know, this year, it's not as intense. Like the year of production and research is incredibly intense. The off year is kind of nice. It's, it's a little bit of a breather. And honestly, I don't True. think this report could be produced every year. And I think that's a question we get a lot is why don't you do it every year? You know, that would be so useful because like it's, it's so much work it so is. that it would kind of be impossible. So it's good to have these off years to think about the bigger questions and how to prepare Right. Uh, to actually do like the the nitty gritty work for the year of production. And I'm just thinking, I wonder if everyone who is incorporating social investment or impact criteria or ESG criteria is actually completing the survey. I really wonder about that. Oh, I don't think they are. I, I no. think, yeah, we probably get like you know, a couple of thousand respondents. I don't know the exact number, but we really have to spend time like calling people and emailing people and reminding them. And, you know, there are staff changes at other organizations. So we'll send the survey and then realize that person's not there anymore. So we have to send it to someone else. Um, yeah. yeah. And and I don't think this this report even includes that individual investor who's doing it themselves at all. 
That's correct. We don't survey that. We are, we do ask asset managers what the breakdown is of their um, individual investor versus institutional clients, but we're not talking to any individual retail investors. So we aren't getting a lot of color on that. Right. So this one in $3 that is invested in ESG criteria, impact criteria, is probably likely underreported then. I mean, it's probably more. It probably is. And I think that some people might be kind of surprised to hear about it like that because they see this number 70, 17 trillion. And a lot of people think it's too big. That can't be possible. But we are actually very conservative in how we calculate the number. We make sure that there isn't any double counting between different types of strategies. Right. But again, we are looking at a, a wide range of strategies. So it, it does cover a lot, but it probably is um, an undercount because we can't get all the information that's right. Right. Well, this is absolutely fascinating to me. And we didn't really talk about the nitty gritty uh, geeky details, which is good. Scare people off with <laughs> a bunch of you know, all of those uh, those uh, geeky details. But for me, this is fascinating. And I, I always look forward to this report because I remember when I started in this business back in 98, right? Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like one in every $20 or something was in sustainable investing. And now it's one in every three. And that kind of growth is phenomenal to me and exciting. So I'm thrilled to have this report because I can see and I can talk to my clients about it and they get excited and, and they feel like, yes, this is, this is the right thing. And I, I know I'm going in the right direction. So I appreciate that USCIF has been doing this for so long. So thank you for participating in that. Thank you. And, and thank you so much for your kind words about the report. We are you know, always happy to hear that it's useful to industry practitioners and hope that it you know, gets people excited about sustainable investing. And for those who aren't getting involved, we hope it gets them you know, excited to maybe get started in it. So thank you for, yeah. for covering the report. That's great. Yes. Thanks for being on Farzana. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? I think that maybe just that the, the next report is coming out in November, 2022, which is a long time away, but it's something to look forward to. And I guess for people who might want to check out the report itself, it's it's on our website, uscif.org. So um, check it out there. And there's a lot of, you know, kind of high level information summaries there as well for people who don't want to read the 150 page report. For those who do, that's terrific. But there's there's we have a lot of summaries as well if people are yes. interested in that. Yeah. They can look at the summaries or they can look at the full report if they really want to geek out. Thanks so much. I appreciate you being on. Eric, do you have any questions? Are you going to geek out on the full report? <laughs> so funny because I was just thinking about that. I was like, I can't imagine if Farzana, you and Kim and Johan got together because 
I know how much Johan geeks out on this stuff. Kim does. I just sit back and learn. I'm just blown away by all the information that Kim shares with me. So I could, I could see like a six or seven hour podcast off of <laughs> just briefly <laughs> talking about the details of the report. But Farzana, great, great job today. I, I think it was just a fantastic amount of information for the audience. Obviously, you're passionate about what you do. So I just appreciate you being on the show and, and teaching me something new. Thank you. And I actually do want to add one more thing, which is I feel like I may have made this report sound like I'm the only one who works on it. This report takes a lot of staff members at USF to work on it. We ask our research committee for help. Our board gets involved in sometimes. We have our partners, the Croton Institute, that does a ton of work on this as well. So this is a massive yeah. team effort. So I, you know, I'm always grateful for their help and look forward to working on the next one with them as well. Great. Good shout out for all of the help that, that you get on this report. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And if there's anybody listening that wants to geek out a little bit on this, Kim, I know that you would absolutely uh, love a phone call for them to talk to you about it. How do they get a hold of you if they want to talk about this? Yes. If people want to talk about this or how we're doing screening on our client portfolios and incorporating that, they can reach us by calling 505-982-9661, or they can email me directly, kim at horizonssfs.com. Fantastic. Farzana, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Kim, of course, thank you for bringing her on the show. She was a fantastic guest. And our last thank you always goes to you, listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Grego Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast, the sustainable, responsible impact investing podcast that shows you how to get your voice heard. It's time to start investing like you give a damn. To ask a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast, email us at info at horizonssfs.com or join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash horizons sustainable financial services or give us a call at 505-982-9661. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment only. You and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you and your situation. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. is a registered investment advisor. Registered with the SEC, Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. and its financial professionals do not render tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax and legal advisors regarding your personal circumstances. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.